I want to share with you guys this morning, but uh, before I do, just want to talk, um, you know, as we continue on in Ephesians and we walk through this, we're going to be talking about Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to go into that in a minute, but, you know, one of the things that as I was reading through this over and over to try to formulate what I was wanting to share with you guys, um, one of the things that stood out to me is walking in the light. It's ironic that we are going to talk about walking in the light today. Um, many of you guys may know or may not know this last Wednesday, uh, here at the church, about 3 o'clock, we had a power outage, and it was like the whole block um, all along the Draper area here was all out, and uh, pitch black in here, and so we, you know, that evening, we have all of our classes, we have our kids' ministry that comes in, we have our youth ministry, and so we just kind of like, okay, usually it doesn't take long to get it back on, and we waited, and we waited, and waited, and finally, we decided to make a call and cancel everything for that night, so we canceled all of our classes, we canceled um, youth, we canceled you know, everything going on, and uh, got the message out to everybody in time so everybody wouldn't try to fight the traffic and get here. And uh, it, never, it didn't come on until about 7.45 that night. So it was a good call in doing so, but it was kind of crazy because, you know, just that morning we had a, an incredible time with our young people. Um, there's this thing that happens across the nation, and, and now it's actually all over the world. But usually the last Wednesday of every September, they do this thing called See You at the Pole. And see, the poll is something where our young people are encouraged to go to their flagpole uh, half an hour before school starts and to pray. And it was cool because I was, I was already that morning getting texts, and, and um, I went to my kid's flagpole and had it. There was about 20 kids, and the youngest one was about 7 years old, all the way up to 10th graders. They had gathered at their flagpole um, in front of all their friends to gather and pray. There was other people that were sending me pictures of, of their flagpole where 20 to 30 people were showing up to gather around their pole and pray. And even some of the smaller ones, there was a mom that took her kids and it was just her and her kids gathering around their flagpole and pray. But it was, it was this thing that was so cool that we were all going to come in and share that night. And it's almost like the enemy was like, no, you're not, you know. And he wanted to put the lights out on it and, and kind of, you know, try to snuff out what God is trying to do. And so it's kind of ironic that we kind of go into this week talking about um, the light and what that means. As you may notice, as Ira mentioned, many of our women are gone this weekend on our ladies' retreat. So I'm not going to be very long this morning, so all of you men that have wives at the ladies' retreat can go to that restaurant you're not allowed to go to, and then run home and do all the dishes that you let stack up all weekend while they were gone, and uh, then watch a little football before they come home. Um, but I, I just want to challenge you as, as we go into this Ephesians of, of what God laid upon my heart for you guys, and uh, so as we do so, let's just go before God. So Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you are God. And that we can come in this place and receive from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would use your words, that you'd use the things that you challenge me, God, in, in preparing to challenge the hearts of your people, to let us leave here different than how we came, and, uh, and, and leave here challenged in what your word says. And we just give it to you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. I love it when you come into to church and, and you've prepared something that God's laid upon your heart, and uh, God's already way ahead of you because he starts leading. Uh, the service in that direction before you even get up to speak. And, and I mean that by the worship team. You know, one of the songs that we let off with was a song that says, you know, walk with the Lord and talked about walking with the Lord. And then, you know, Ira mentioned about being filled with the Spirit and the glory that was coming down. And all these things are basically the things that I'm going to be laying out in my sermon. And, and God was already at work saying, okay, I'm going to prepare the hearts for what I want to share with them today. And uh, he does that, you know, usually every week. Um, of, of really kind of working in what he's, he's trying to get across to us as, as his people. But last week, um, if you were here, Pastor Jody challenged us with a, the, the title of her sermon was Becoming Like Jesus. Uh, 
And in this, she challenged us to take off our sinful nature and to put on the new nature. And in doing so, Paul laid down in Ephesians chapter 4 a bunch of do-nots and ends the chapter with what feeds into the next chapter and what we're going to be talking about this morning. And while the greatest commandment exhorts us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, we tend to reverse the order, thinking we can go from the outside in rather than the inside out. Instead of ministry flowing out of our relationship with God, many people suppose, in effect, that ministry will determine their relationship with God. And ministry doesn't determine your relationship with God. It's that relationship with God that determines your ministry. And so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be going from the difference or, or talking and sharing the difference as Ephesians 4 really talked about the things that we should do and not do. We're going to, we're going to talk as, as Paul continues on the difference between doing and being. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And there's a reason we're called human beings and not human doings, right? You know, because it's about who we are in Christ. So doing is a list of steps to do or not to do, where being is what you are becoming. Does trying to become like Jesus wear you out? Oswald Chamber had this quote, and it says, If I am devoted to the cause of humanity only, I will soon be exhausted and come to the place where my love will falter. But if I love Jesus Christ personally and passionately, I can serve humanity, though men treat me as a doormat. And there's a difference between serving humanity because that's what we do and serving humanity because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And so... The, the, the word that we're going to be using, and you're going to hear a lot, um, you could retitle, I, I titled this sermon, Walking with Jesus. Um, another way to look at it is, is we could talk about the killer bees, and it's not the ones that fly around, but the bees and the B-E. And the word bee itself means to begin, to come into existence. It's a result of change. And so all of this is, is, as we go on to this morning, is feeding in from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, and it's says this, therefore, or it says, I, therefore, the prisoner, and this is Paul talking, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, or another term there is, is I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so that's going to feed us into Ephesians chapter 5, but the last part of Ephesians 4, um, verse 32, starts us on these B words. And, and we're going to emphasize those as we, as we walk through um, Ephesians 5, 1 through 20. And the first B's that are mentioned in Ephesians 4, 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So the first B's here are pretty simple. The first one is be kind. Be kind means useful towards others. And then it says be compassionate. Compassionate means tenderhearted. And then the last one is be forgiving. Forgiving is show someone favor. So how are we kind and compassionate? By forgiving others. How can we be kind and compassionate is by forgiving others. And you'll see how this starts to build up as Paul walks us through there, through these verses. And so we go on into Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. If you want to follow along with me, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the next B that we're going to talk about is be imitators of God. Be imitators. I feel like I'm ringing. Be imitators of God. As, as what? As dearly loved children. And so I thought about this, and, and I have two young boys, and I, and I remember, you know, as a dad, one of the things that kind of this unwritten thing that you go through with your boys is that you go in to shave, and next thing you know, and you see your son, and he's got his little fake razor, and you put some shaving cream on him, and he's watching everything you do, and he's shaving right next to you. Um, of course, I didn't do that this morning, as you can tell. Um, but it's just him imitating your motions, and I've seen both my boys do that. And walk through that. And the other one that I, I love even more is um, when I would get out the lawnmower. And both my boys had their own toy little lawnmower. Probably one of the best gifts ever made. And they would follow me around the yard as I mowed the lawn, doing everything that I did. You know, and a, a huge smile would go over your face as a dad. One, because they're imitating you. But the second one is because you're trying to see the future of one day you'll get to sit down and watch them mow the lawn without you, right? And you're like, oh, I hope you're learning. Um, but it's that imitators. And it says here, be imitators of God. Like what? Like dearly loved children. So how are we imitators of God? By living a life of what? Of love. So here Paul is saying, if you want to be an imitator of God, you need to live a life of love. And all you have to do nowadays is to watch the news, look at our families, look at our churches, look at our nation, and ask, are we living a life of love? Are we living a life of love? You know, the motto of our church is loving God and loving people. It's a great motto, but do we do actually live by that, of loving God and loving people? And then we go on because this is something that's in our society today. If we are to love, does that mean we accept their behavior? I mean, that's what society is teaching us right now. If we're to love everybody, we have to accept their behavior. But Paul doesn't leave it at that of just being imitators of God by love, he goes on, and, and we're going to read on. This is what, what Paul says right after that in, in verses 3 and 4. He answers that question. Be imitators of God, live a life of love, and then he goes right into verse 3. It says, but, it's when those, if you heard me share last time, I always like when God throws those big butts in there. You know, and here's one of those things he says, you know what, live a life of love, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And you hear that, and can any one of us in the room go, well, that didn't affect me. I think every one of us is going, ouch. I know I am. You know, so here Paul is saying, you know, we need to, we need to be you know, imitating God himself. And we do this out of love. And if we do that, it doesn't mean we accept everything. It says that we shouldn't even have a hint of these things in our life. And yet we live in a media-saturated world that everywhere you go, you go to the malls, you're, you're driving down the road, you're on your phones, you're on your computers, you're hearing music, you're watching movies, and everything is pushing us towards these things and are thrown in front of us. And yet the Word of God says there shouldn't even be a hint of these things. Not even a hint. We go back to verse 2, where it says we are to be imitators of God, and it says where Christ was a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. It says Christ was a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. 
And it says, makes you think of what kind of fragrance am I to God? What kind of fragrance is my life to God? Am I offensive? And so we go on in Ephesians and we continue on. And, and like I said, we're just, gonna, we're just walking through these, these first 20, 21 verses of Ephesians chapter 5. So we go on to Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 7, 5 through 7. It says, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a man is an idolater, has an inherent inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So the next B that, that stood out to me as I was reading through this and I want to challenge you with is, is the term that said in there in the, in the first part of that verse is be sure. Be sure another way of saying that is, is to know. To know. And it even, even mentions of saying, you know, let no one deceive you with empty words. If you are to walk with Jesus, it would probably be good to be sure of what you believe or to know what you believe. I tell our young people all the time, when in doubt, find out. You know, we have classes in our, in our 9 o'clock service, and we're going through this uh, curriculum that's called Own It. And what it is, is it's walking our young people through this, this um, I think it's like a 20-week series of knowing what you believe, knowing why you call yourself a Christian, knowing why we believe in God, knowing who Satan is, and all these types of things, and walking through this. So, so why? So we can be sure. And how can we be imitators of God unless we're sure? We have things that we offer here that the, the church, Ira mentioned it, base camp. Base camp isn't just for those that just first come to find a relationship with God. Base camp is for everyone. We have a, a school basically here that meets in CVSOM to gain more knowledge of who God is and what the Word of God has to say. We have classes that are set up. We, we do things for our kids, all this kind of stuff to, to help us to know and to be sure of who God is. So why should we be in the Word of God? Because we can't be imitators if you don't know what you're imitating. How can you be an imitator of God if you don't know anything about God or who God is? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is what? It's being sure. There's that word again. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we're to be kind or to be compassionate, to be forgiving to be imitators of God, and now we're to be sure, be sure of what we believe. And then he continues on, and we're going to read uh, Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. It says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out, Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For, if, for, if, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Is it time for us to wake up? So the next B that we have here is, is, is to be the light. 
Some versions say to live as children of the light or to walk as children of the light or to live one's life, to be, or to quote Shakespeare, to be or not to be. That is the question. I threw that in for my English lit major wife so I can, I can talk about Shakespeare, right? Um, but to, to be, to be the light, to be the light or to walk in the light, you first need to understand darkness, okay? So what is darkness? What is darkness? Verse 11 here says that uh, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, the fruitless deeds of darkness. And so I looked at that, and, and Ephesians calls it out as fruitless deeds. And if you look back in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it talks a little bit more about these fruitless deeds of darkness. And it says it this way. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's pretty plain what the darkness is. And he doesn't just leave it there. Paul doesn't say, okay, that's all about the darkness. Is He goes on and he says, okay, again, he throws another big button there. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So here it is in, in knowing the darkness, and it talks about the deeds of the darkness. He then goes into the fruits of the light and, and takes us from there of, of the darkness to the light. And, and, and a part of this is what's so hard about today's society is we try so hard to mix the dark with the light, and it's impossible. You can't have both of them. Once the light is there, it takes over the darkness, but we try so hard to blend the two and say, well, it's, it's okay for some of this stuff to be in here. It's okay for this kind of stuff, but it's either the darkness or the light is a part of that. So understanding what the darkness is, and the second part is what is light? What is light? Going back to verse 8 of chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live as children of light. And so I'm going I'm to give you just a few points of what the light is. First of all, just pretty obvious things is light is meant to be seen, right? You notice light. Luke 8.16 says this, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. And this last summer, um, our family went on a road trip, and uh, we drove cool across the United States. It, was, it felt like forever. Um, we went down to Indiana, Chicago, um, Michigan to see family and to visit with family. Then on the way back, we kind of had some fun with it and stopped in the Dakotas, saw Mount Rushmore, and there was a place that we decided to go to um, while we were staying at Mount Rushmore, and it was a place called the Wind Caves. And I don't know if you've ever done that or if you've ever been in the caves in itself. Um, so my wife and daughter decided to do an easier part of the, the wind caves. And so I took my two boys because they're like, oh, it's exploring time. And they had a, 
a different part of the tour that you can go on, and they give you these buckets that are turned sideways. And inside there, they have a candle that they light. And that's your only light as you're going through these, these wind caves. And they take you, you start off on the regular trail that everybody goes on, and then all of a sudden they just lead you off this path. And, of course, they, you, know, um, you stop and they start to tell stories of people who have been lost in there. Um, they actually did a training at that, those caves where they brought people in to, to train them how to find people that get lost in caves. And there's two people of that crew that got lost in the caves, of course. So they had to really figure that out. Um, so my boys are like, their eyes are wide open as they're listening to this. And they take us through this, and we get kind of far back in there. And they do this um, a lot of times when you go to caves, and they say, okay, what we want to do is, is to blow out your candle. And I don't know if you've been in a cave, and you blow out those candles, and that darkness is almost like you can feel it. I mean, it's, it's, it's different than just turning off the lights in here. You know, there'd be little glimpses of light here or there or whatever. But it was so dark that you can almost feel it, that heaviness that was a part of that. And, and feeling that, and, and it was kind of that excitement when they said, okay, and the guide pulled out his lighter and lighted our candles again. You're like, uh, you know, I'm glad that you had that with you. Um, but, but being able to, to, to have the light and what the light is for and being able to see the light, light must be seen. Is your relationship with God hidden in secrecy? Either secrecy will destroy your relationship or your relationship will destroy the secrecy. Say that again. Either secrecy will destroy your relationship or your relationship will destroy the secrecy. And that's not only relationships within the relationships that you have with one another, but it's also your relationship with God. John 8, 12, and this is Jesus talking, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So first of all, light is meant to be seen. The second part of this is a light is a guide. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So again, being sure of what you know leads right into the next part of, of be the light and the word of God being the light and what that light means. Um, before I came on the adventure, I was youth pastoring at another church and we always would do this retreat up at Camp Utaba. And this camp, I'd been up there a hundred times, so I felt like I knew it, you know, better than anybody. And, uh, of course, being with a bunch of teenagers, we decided to play games at midnight in the dark, because um, that's what you do with teenagers. And uh, we were playing a game of Capture the Flag, and it was all set up, and we are playing this game, and I, of course, with the competitiveness of th- that I have, I wanted to win. I wanted to beat these guys. So I was getting close to getting the flag, and all of a sudden, one of the teenagers saw me. And I was like, oh, I'm not wanting one of these kids catch me. So I took off running through the dark, thinking that I knew it pretty well, and I saw a, the outline of some bushes up ahead. So I decided to run and just jump over the bushes, and I knew this kid wouldn't probably do that and follow me. And so I did that, and as I jumped over the bushes, I'm kind of falling through the air, and I'm realizing I should have hit ground by now. <laughs> and, and there was no ground coming up. And uh, it's not like we were playing with there's cliffs, so it wasn't that bad, but there was quite a bit of a drop-off, and uh, I had time to try to in my mind, what should I do? So I tried to, to roll before I hit the ground so I wouldn't take all the brunt of the force on my head and took the force of hitting the ground with my shoulder, um, which dislocated it pretty extremely. And so I'm laying there crying out in pain. So the kid kind of walks around and goes, I got you. And I'm like, yeah, that wasn't even fair. <laughs> you heard me screaming. Um, but it was one of those things in, in the darkness, kind of knowing, trying to think that you knew where you're going and what's going on. And that the, the light is there to guide our paths. It's not only to be seen, but it's, it's there to guide us and, and to lead us. 
do you know where you're going in your relationship with God? Do you know where you're going in your relationship with God? First um, John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7 puts it this way. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So here it is, and and we're claiming about walking in the light, being guided by the light. So again, we go back to Ephesians to focus on what the light can do for us, not on how much we want the darkness. We need to not focus on we need to focus on what the light can do for us, not on how we how much we want the darkness. So the last part of the light is the light is warning. The light is warning. Think of it as like a lighthouse. Or I even turned it around and and I flipped the words around to a house light. Um, again, I was up at this same camp, Camp Utaba. This time it was at snow camp, and, and my wife and I had our own cabin, and so, of course, the kids wanted to play a prank on us. And so a bunch of the teenagers got out. There was about eight feet of snow up in the mountains there, and they wanted to bury our cabin in with about eight feet of snow. So they started, they had shovels. And being teenagers, of course, they're not real quiet. They're not really, you know, sneaky that way, so we heard them. And uh, so they're shoveling up our door, trying to fill it up, and uh, it was a simple way of getting rid of them. I just had to walk over to the door and flip on the light. And as soon as the light came on, it, they took off like, you know, like cockroaches, you know. And I didn't have to go outside in the cold. I didn't have to do anything. Just flip on the light a few times, and they were like scared, scared themselves and ran off. And another example I was thinking of is when I was growing up, um, you ever stayed home by yourself? And you have just this feeling like, oh, this is kind of eerie. And so as a kid, I would go around and put on every light in the house because I wasn't going to go anywhere in the dark. And, uh, you know, and this is also coming from a family that was a little warped in the sense that we loved to scare each other. And I also had a dad that if you left a light on in one room and you left that room, he would charge you a quarter to help pay the light bill. And so we always learned and we had this basement and it was always scary to go in the basement. And, uh, we couldn't leave the hall. As we went down the stairs, there was a light there, and you couldn't leave that light on because if my dad came around the corner, it cost me a quarter. So you'd have to run around the corner and get to the hallway and flip the light on, and then you were safe because the light was on. And you knew that I always had brothers and sisters that would kind of hide and try to scare you and stuff. But it was always that little run around the corner to, to turn the light on to have like, okay, I'm okay. And uh, that hallway that we had, if you've ever had... Uh-oh. Oh, there we go. Two switches that turn the same light on. If you take one of those switches and put it in the middle, it doesn't matter how many times you flip the other switch, it's not going to come on. And so I have evil brothers and sisters that figured that out. And so you hit the bottom of the stairs and you're like, okay, and you turn off that light and you go run around the corner and you'd hit that switch and nothing would happen and the fear that would grip you. And it was just like, ah, and you like scream and you go turn and and run, run back to get to the light again. And they'd be laughing, you know, but the fear that comes with darkness and about having the light and the light being a, a warning and that kind of thing. In Acts chapter 26, um, we're going to read about this incredible light that came to someone and, and the story that comes along with this and, and, and who this verse is ta- these verses are talking about. But it's Acts chapter 26, verses 13 through 18. And, and this is um, the person who, who this is talking about is telling the story to a king. 
He's kind of sharing his own story. And it says, About noon, O king, as I was on a road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from the darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and and a place among those who were sacrificed by faith in me. So who is this talking about? This is talking about the same person that we're reading right now in Ephesians that wrote this, that wrote Ephesians. This is Paul explaining that when this is when he was commissioned by God, he saw a light. And this light was something that, was, that changed his life. And it moved him forward in, in who he was. And now he's not only writing to us, telling us of something that he hasn't experienced. He's writing to us saying, this is something I myself experienced. That I was once in darkness. And not only did I experience the light of Jesus Christ himself, it was a, it was a physical light that knocked me on my butt. And because of that, God commissioned him at Saul at that time. And he, he later became Paul. And, and he came and, and says, you know what? I'm sharing this out of experience for you guys. To share the light with the world, the light has to be shining in your life first. People want something that is real. And if it's not real in your life this morning, you need to make some decisions. And so as we continue on, the the last set of B's that we have here are found in in the last part of this chapter, verses 15 through 21. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 first. It says it this way. Make sure I got it. There we go. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So the next B that is mentioned here is be careful. How do I be careful? The second part of that verse says to be, to, to be wise. So be careful and to be wise. You want to know how to be wise as you go to the book that's titled after that. And the, the book is, is, the name means wise saying, and that's Proverbs. And Proverbs, if you've started off, and this is, it says this, this is to kind of introduce Proverbs itself, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And it's given you the whole theme of, of what Proverbs is written about. And it's written, this, this starts off the proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. If you know anything about Solomon, Solomon had this opportunity where God says, what is one thing you want? And I'll give it to you. What did Solomon ask for? wisdom. So here's someone that God gave him wisdom, and he's going to share that with us through the Proverbs. So it should be some pretty important stuff. And and this is how he starts it off with. The Proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, 
and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, for sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So be careful by being wise. And then the third one that he continues on, if we continue on, verse 17 and read down. I therefore do not, or therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the last B that is mentioned in there, we have be, be careful, be wise, and then be filled with the Spirit. The word filled means a repeated action. Wouldn't it be nice if you just go to the gas station and you only had to fill your car up once? That was it. It was, you know, as long as the car lasted you, you didn't have to go to the, and fill up again. You know, you could just go on and on and on, but it doesn't happen that way, does it? But sometimes we do that in our relationship with God because we expect just one time to be enough. You know, Sundays is, is just enough for me to get enough of the Word of God to last me all week long. And we go through trials and we go through all these journeys and we all these types of things and we're trying to live, live off the fumes of that one instance, that one time. But here it is and... and, and we kind of hit on it in our worship time and in what Ira kind of shared is being filled with the Spirit isn't just a one-time thing. You can be careful by trying to be wise, but you can't be wise without being filled with the Spirit. And a lot of people live this life by being careful, by trying to be wise, by trying to understand these things. But you can have all the wisdom in the world and if you're not living by the Spirit, it's not going to mean anything. And so here's some of the indications that Paul lays out for us of being filled with the Spirit. The first one is found in verse 19, and that's singing praises and making music. And if you're like Ira and myself, that music and that singing may not be that great. But that's not what it's about. It's making music and, and, and praise. And, and why do we do worship every Sunday when we get together? Because that's, that's our time to be filled with the Spirit. That's the time for God's presence to come into our life, to impact us in a powerful way. We walk in here not just to, uh, to see what the band is, is doing and see what they're playing, but we come in here to, to participate in worship. The second one is found in verse 20. It says, Give, giving thanks. How do you give thanks? Are you a giver or a taker? Are you an observer or a participator? think about that. When we come into church, you know, so many times it's like, ah, oh, this, I hope the worship team, this worship team's playing. They're the best one. And we sit back and we observe the worship team singing their songs. We don't participate. We don't enter in. And then it's the sermon time and it's like, man, I hope, I hope it's not that crazy youth pastor. I hope it's Jody or Ira, you know, but it's like, you know, I, I, they better be good. They better have some good stories. You know, it's all these types of things of, of we want to be observers, but God is challenging us to be participators. The other question I threw out here is, do you drain people? Do you drain people or do you help fuel people? 
We all know the people that drain us. We know those people that you see and you're like, oh, no. You know, because you're just going to be drained. But giving thanks. And then the last one found in verse 21 is submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. Accountability is not easy. There's a pastor I love to read a lot of the stuff that he has, and his name is Francis Chan. And I remember him um, sharing, I think it was at the Foursquare conference a couple years ago when it was in Texas, and he was one of the guest speakers, and he was doing this class, and he was talking about you know, the things that he does. And he says, you know, as a pastor, and his church went from almost nothing to thousands of people this huge church. And he says, you know, as a pastor, he goes, I get fueled by getting up every Sunday and preaching to the people. And he said, if that's all I did, that would be awesome. And he says, but God started to challenge me as I did that because it was pretty easy because I would prepare all week long and I'd put in hours of, of time of just preparing myself and I'd get up there and I'd preach and I could just leave and be done and people would pat me on the back. And so he started to spend less time in the big group setting of their church, and they started to do a lot of small home churches. And he says, that was so hard for me because I had to start doing life with people. I had to start being a part of other people in, in a separate way. He put it this way, is, is, uh, it's easier to preach each week than it is to sit down and do life with people because that can get messy, that can be scary, and that can take me out of my comfort zone. And even as Christians inside this church, it's easier for us to just show up on a Sunday and hear someone preach and then walk back out the door than it is for us to enter in and really submit to one another and do life with one another. Because it takes me out of my comfort zone. It might get a little messy. I might have to share a few things. Are you in fellowship here at the adventure? Why or why not? So we started out with Paul challenging us in the first verse as dearly loved children. And then he ends with putting the focus on giving thanks to our Father. Giving thanks to our Father. And so I'm going to close with this. I, I took all these points and I meshed it down into just one big paragraph of how this is leading us and what, what God is trying to challenge us here and what Paul was trying to say. And so this walking with Jesus... It starts off with last week's sermon, becoming like Jesus, which then moves us to becoming kind and compassionate and forgiving of others. This then challenges us to be imitators of God. How? By being sure of what we believe, which takes us away from darkness and into the light. And as we start to live in the light, it tells us to be careful of the enemy with what with wisdom by being filled with the spirit through praises giving thanks and submitting to one another so here's paul's challenge to us of this walk with jesus christ it's one thing to accept jesus christ into our life but it's another thing to start this walk with him and so i want to challenge you this morning as, as we close up is what is god speaking to you this morning what is god challenging you in what was shared and if you just close your eyes with me, I'm going to close in prayer. And I just want to ask you two questions as your eyes are closed. The first one is, are there areas in your life that need to come into the light so you can resume your walk with God? Are there some things that you've hidden in secrecy? Some things that, that shouldn't even be a hint of? 
that need to be exposed. And I'm not asking you to come up here and from the platform tell everybody what's going on. But I think each one of us know there's areas in our life that we've tried to bury. That we've tried to blend the darkness with the light and it doesn't happen. So I simply just want you to speak to God right now saying, God, I give this to you. I give this area of my life to you right now. I don't even want a hint of it anymore in my life. Bring it to the light, God. And the second question I have for you is, are there people in here this morning who have been just observers and not participators in this journey? Are you tired of watching everybody else in their walk with God? When God is just asking you to jump in and be a participator? And so I'm going to close in prayer, and as we do so, we have people that are here that would be willing to pray with you. The, you can, if you want to come up and, and pray at the altars, you can do that. If you want to just sit in your seat and talk to God for a minute, you can do that. But I'm just going to close in prayer with this challenge that goes out to each one of us as, as we read through Ephesians. And Paul was trying to throw this out as someone that experienced this and saying, you know what? It's time to come to the light. It's time to be filled with the Spirit. It's time to start walking with Jesus Christ. So Father God, Lord, we come to you this morning. God, as we had this time of worship, as we, we got to experience you and, and, and feel your presence around us, God. And as Ira challenged us to give thanks, give thanks to you, Lord. And now we're being challenged to start to submit to one another, to start living our life in the light, to, to being sure of what we know is true. God, I pray for everyone that is in this room right now. God, that we wouldn't try to merge light and darkness. God, that our lives would start to shine in the light. That we would be a beacon for others. That others would see the light and be attracted to that light. And know that that light only comes from you. So Lord, as we leave this place this morning, walk with us, God. Fill us with your presence in a mighty way. Challenge us. Challenge us this morning with the words that were spoken, God, through your word, and help us walk out of here different than how we came in. We give this time to you, Lord, in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.